Hey there, welcome back to this week's episode of the Seatown Podcast, where Seattle business owners, entrepreneurs, and community leaders are invited on to share their stories with us. I'm your host, Christian Harris. This week's episode of the Seatown Podcast is brought to you by Seatown Real Estate. Their mission to make a difference extends beyond just their unique and unconventional approach with their clients and their agents. They partner with the community to give back a percentage of the proceeds from each home sale to a local nonprofit of their client's choice. Visit seatown.com, S-E-A-town.com, and experience the difference with Seatown Real Estate today. Welcome back to another episode of the Seatown Podcast. Today I'm joined by Aaron Ticolvi, the um, the chef of Sorel here in Seattle. Um, does a lot of pop-up stuff, has a private catering company. Um, yeah, I actually you know, met you through some events we were, we're doing here in West Seattle, doing some rooftop events and um, trying to provide some, some fun, uh, some high-end food, drinks, you know, bring the community together, that, that type of stuff. And, mm-hmm. and those events went, went really well and got to know you a little bit. Um, so I appreciate you coming on, on the podcast. Absolutely. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Yeah. So, so tell me a little bit about, um, about how you got started with your own business. I assume you're, you know, a chef for a while before that. Mm-hmm. I mean, what, what's kind of your journey look like? Yeah, so Sorel, um, you know, Sorel kind of started really in 2014, but it didn't have a name. And I was just doing pop-ups then, uh, working in other restaurants. I worked at Lark for quite some time and was there as sous chef with John, worked at Canlis for a while, and was doing it just to explore my own creativity and really trying to find my voice in my craft, which I think everybody is searching for that in any profession where it's like, this is who I am within this industry. Right. I started working in restaurants when I was like 14 and a half uh, for a small friend's cafe, uh, friend of family friends, and did that for about six years, both working in the kitchen and front of house to make a little extra money, mm-hmm. waiting tables. And then went off and followed a music career and was a professional musician for about nine years. Um, oh. And then came back into the restaurant industry after that when our lead singer unfortunately um, had a back injury that uh, prevented us from doing some things and I kind of just fell out of love with the music industry. So I came into this industry and then I was working in restaurants and just got on that path of like, I want to have my own thing. Mm -hmm. I want to open up a restaurant. And I was really on that path. Um, And then I met my fiance and took a bigger look at the picture of like what I wanted in my life and realized that I wanted a life work balance rather than a work life balance. And that I needed to make sure that whatever I'm doing with my work, that it serves my life and not the other way around. And I think a lot of the times when we get caught up searching for accolades or, you know, things we forget sometimes to make sure we take care of ourselves, that if we don't take care of ourselves first, that we won't have, you know, anything to reap the reward, like to enjoy the rewards. Um, of, of winning things being, um, you know, recognized in any way. So I kind of changed and I realized like I'm been doing all these private dinners in people's homes. I'm cooking the cuisine I like to cook, whether it's through a seven, eight course tasting menu, whether it's uh, or d'oeuvres party where we're doing small bites paired with something, whether it's a three or four course menu, I'm still cooking my cuisine. And I think a lot of that comes from, you know, being, you know, got to give uh, credit to my parents for raising me uh, with a lot of respect. And uh, in that turn, you know, I feel that I treat people with a lot of respect and try my best to. Mm-hmm. So when I deal with clients and we start working and talking about things, I ask them a lot of questions. So all the menus are custom made. And that's kind of my way of 
you know, tailoring things specifically for like what they want. Because if they hate cilantro or if they are allergic to shellfish, it'd be really silly of me to pitch a menu that has like sure. clams and, you know, cilantro on it. So right. I started realizing that. Uh, so I started doing some small parties here on the side. And then at the same time, I was running this pop-up restaurant. And for anybody who's run a pop-up restaurant specifically before, because there's like pop-up dress shops and pop-up barber shops and things. Mm-hmm. When you run a pop-up restaurant, you're bringing in, depending on the space, everything you need to cook. Mm-hmm. Um, to the point to where when I first started doing them in 2014, out of my friend Darby English's uh, wine tasting room in the Hollywood Hills in Woodenville, mm-hmm. we would bring in portable stoves, por- or, you know, portable burners, portable fryer, portable oven. We would bring in tables. We would rent all the stemware, um, plates, bowls, everything, napkins, um, all the flatware, like everything was brought Sounds in. Sounds like a lot. Yeah, it was. It's a production, yeah. you know. And what was interesting is that because of my days being in a band, and I was a drummer, setting up a bunch of stuff is very. I'm used to it as sure. a drummer. The load you're, in, load out. Is yeah, you're the first one who has to set up, and you're the last one getting done. Yeah. And so I was really used to that, and I kind of liked it too. I like that ability to create something. So I had a lot of energy for it. As time went on, I wanted to be in Seattle more. I'd done some really great pop-ups over at a business called Whisk in Bellevue. They have an amazing kitchen where we could do some really special things. But I wanted a place uh, that had more of a traditional restaurant feel to it in some ways, but also uh, could be on some of the nights that I wanted to. And they have a business that's operational. We could only do things like um, on Tuesday and Wednesday nights. And I wanted to get more closer to the weekend. So I found a partner who had a restaurant in Queen Anne called The Bite Box, and they only do lunch and breakfast or breakfast and lunch. So I was able to take over their space at night and I would do things on Thursdays and Fridays, sometimes Saturdays. Uh, and we ended up getting some really nice attention from that. And it was kind of a slow roll, like trying to figure out what this is, because still at, on the pop-up side, it's kind of like a live art show for food in a way where, you know, we're like that day, we're there, we're doing our thing. We promote it and sell tickets to it um, because that really helps us make sure that we bring the right kind of food. And we're pretty much with the pop-up, I've only ever done some form of a tasting menu. So somewhere between six to nine courses, mm-hmm. typically um, offering like a Washington wine pairing or something like that with it. Um, but meanwhile, I've been running this private dining and catering business. And it's really all about bringing the experience of a great restaurant to you, whatever that means. It could be an orders party or it could be that eight course tasting menu or three course dinner. So I was running that as well. And then as I mentioned in 2016, I went off on my own, um, stopped working at the restaurant that I was at and just really pursued this. And over that time, um, it really grew into something that I could depend on very well and start taking on some staff members and uh, building up our team. But the pop-up was the only place where I didn't have to ask permission to do something. So like when you're in a client-based service, any client-based service, like I've worked in sales before in my life and things like that, you know, you have to ask a lot of questions to find out what do they need, what do they want, at their event and so with private dining you ask a lot of those questions i should say i get to do a lot of what i want to i'm really fortunate like seattle is such a wonderful place to be i always say that seattle the pacific northwest as a whole is a bit of a secret still i mean yes seattle has a good sized population but when you really think about all the major cities any city with a football team baseball team and basketball team and now a hockey team we're one of the very smallest in the entire like country we're tiny right world-class yeah, yeah which is great yeah. because we're not overrun by all these and we have a ton of big company massive companies some of the biggest in the world and tech and whatnot here in seattle but 
yet we don't have this wealth of companies coming in, bringing in these huge name chefs that kind of like steamroll a lot of locals or take a lot of attention away from them in the media. And so I feel really fortunate for that. We also have one of the most biodiverse regions in the world within less than a 300 mile radius. So when it comes to cooking, you to me, you could not be in a better part of, of the country for sure. And definitely West Coast. Like, love you, California. Love your family lives in California. Mm-hmm. But, you know, Southern California doesn't have anything on us. You know, I appreciate that you can have tomato season for four months. But, you know, when you can have something too often, you usually take it for granted. Sure. And here, we're like, we're celebrating the heck out of it right now. And then uh, we'll say goodbye in a minute. And then we'll see you, you know, come next July, late July. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's really... To me, that makes you better. It also forces my creativity because I choose as a chef to be very regional and as micro-seasonal as I can, just meaning that I try to cook you know, the ingredients, at least the ones I'm showcasing the most. They're at their peak seasonality. It's somewhere in a two- to three-week period that we're working with those ingredients. And then we move on to new ones because I don't want to be cooking asparagus in August. That's silly. Yeah. Or cooking, you know, even, I mean, there's a lot of things like, if I had a choice, like I would only use citrus in the winter because that's when it's in season. A lot of people don't know these things. That's the fun thing about doing the pop-up is that it's also an educational opportunity. Or when I do dinners, like I've done plenty of like six to eight course tasting menus, four course dinners where I'm right at the table explaining all the dishes because the guests would like that, that interaction with the chef. And so I can let them know about, you know, the amazing amount of shellfish and other seafood we have in the Pacific Northwest and like when salmon's really at its peak or halibut or you know the kind of game that we have here I mean it's just a really phenomenal place to cook and I've been really fortunate to work for other chefs over the years that have helped plug me in to all these amazing people to know to then you know whether it's um, a forager or a farmer and then uh, have those relationships so they inform me uh, because there's a lot of science to like the reason why things ripen the right way or why root vegetables have a certain level of sweetness. And once you know that, you can start unlocking you know, the layers of deliciousness that it has at the right time, where when you're just like using any carrot any time of the year, it's going to fluctuate in how it tastes. And so your carrot dish in August is going to be a lot different than your carrot dish in November. Sure. What's cool about West Seattle too is if you come on a Sunday to the West Seattle market, which is year-round, mm-hmm. like – that place is packed always. There's massive support for the businesses that are down there. And that always brings me a lot of joy because there's some really fan. Also, what people don't know is there's some really fantastic, some of the best ones that go to any farmer's market come to West Seattle. And I think a lot of that's just based on the community we have here sure. and it being so supportive. Right. Lines year round, which is Yeah, which nice, you can you know, always count on it. Right. That's the thing that's super nice. I mean, other than that, this time of year, I go to that one and then Columbia City because it's on Wednesdays. Mm-hmm. And that's a super nice one to go to. It's really fun it's in columbia city which is so great these days um you know 15 years ago 17 years ago when i was working down there um doing some club management for the columbia city theater itself uh it was a little bit scarier area nowadays oh man it's it's crazy um how great it is now like it's just fantastic so it's really great to to go down there on wednesdays and be able to get things i'll be sad when it closes for the year Uh, i think it's like end september october but um yeah it's a it's really you know all i'm trying to say is like how great of a an area we really live in it's really special yeah no i agree i mean on that note of uh kind of hidden farmers markets yeah on thursdays there's a beer in farmers market Oh, really? Yeah, which I didn't know about, and I like, live right there, so I oh, <laughs> just found nice. out about it. So. Yeah, you know, and that's what I love, too, is like there's um, more and more popping up. Mm-hmm. And then also the farmers, like Washington's a really special state because we have 
I believe it's through the University of Washington. They have um, a farming program. Like we have, the, I believe it's considered, at least it was a few years ago and I had a friend who was a farmer who was looking into these uh, programs, second best program in the country. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the first is somewhere in the Midwest. Okay. And you know, you have all these people who are trying to get into it, which is really important. We need more young people inspired by farming. Sure. So Washington will sponsor farmers to have a certain amount of acreage and grow things. Okay. And then they go to these farmer's markets. And so anytime you see the Grow Washington booths, mm-hmm. you know, at least spend a couple bucks with them too. Like get your stuff from whomever you want, but sure. throw them a couple of dollars because the, the more money that those guys can raise doing what they're doing, it helps get them more seed money, not to be too punny, but seed <laughs> money to uh, get more acreage sure. sponsored sure. so that they can continue. And you want these people who are in their 20s and 30s because right now the average age, I think last time I heard, is somewhere right in the mid-50s of a farmer. Sure. It's really scary when sure. you think about like, you know, the farms you want to be buying stuff from and not the, you know, really sad tomatoes that you get at, you know, commercialized grocery stores. Right, right. You know? Big, yeah. Yeah. On the uh, the pop up side, are most of those uh, public events like they're open mm-hmm. to open to the public? And how far out do you typically plan those? I mean, it'll depend. I mean, certain ones I know that I'm going to do three four months out. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, some of them are become annual events now. So I was inspired by um, a chef that a lot of people are probably familiar with his name. His name's Curtis Stone, and he has a restaurant called Mod down in LA. And he's best known for being a TV chef, but he is an extraordinary, extraordinarily talented chef. Mm-hmm. You know, um, don't let the good looks fool you. Like that, that man is insanely talented okay. and can cook really well. And he has a really funny story. If if you ever research it, it's hilarious um, how he got into everything. And he's worked at some of the very best restaurants or for some of the very best chefs in the world. Mm-hmm. I mean, he is incredibly talented. So he had this restaurant at one point, um, Mod, and it's still open, but they changed the focus of it. And he was doing for a while like this ingredient, single ingredient driven menu where for a month they would just do, everything would be around one ingredient. Mm -hmm. And I heard about that and it really inspired me because I'm like, man, I love that idea. And what I love about it the most is that it pushes creativity. That if the only thing I can work with on this menu, that the only thing I'm going to showcase is going to be a tomato. One, or any ingredient. One, we want to pick an ingredient that has multiple varieties because that way it's not just the same flavor multiple times you're just using like a spice to make it taste yeah yeah you want like something that has a lot of variety to it um also something that people love because i think that you know there are definitely some crazy ingredients out there that people will be like oh that sounds kind of cool but it's kind of out there um so the one the two that are definitely by far the most popular that we've done are all tomato like a tomatoes dinner where Mm -hmm. all eight courses are focusing on tomatoes and a mushroom dinner. Mm-hmm. And so we do both of those. Great area for both of these. Pacific Northwest has one of the largest um, bounties and largest diversity of wild mushrooms uh, that you can find in the entire United States. And so it's a really great place to be in, in the Pacific Northwest, to do a dinner like that. You know, those dinners really force creativity. And one of, like, my favorite things that I've ever made in my life is porcini mushroom ice cream, which was birthed out of doing the first mushroom dinner and made it and it's i still say it's like the best there's one other thing that i think competes with that that i've made but and there's it's rare that i ever say that because it's just like hard to pick things that you love Mm -hmm. and you're always working and making them better but man that is i'm super proud of that of that recipe and we make sure to focus but what's cool is that out of that then some of those dishes make their way just onto another fall menu Mm -hmm. or one of those components do like the porcini mushroom ice cream has definitely been used on other menus because it's just too good and it's different 
And that's something that I like to include with my cuisine is it's like different yet familiar sometimes. And you have to, you know, to make this more special in what we do. So it's just like, you know, you don't want to be like a faceless chef coming into people's homes. Like anybody could be here and doing this. Sure. You want something that makes you stand out a little bit that way. Porcini mushroom ice cream sets you apart in that way. And I was, you know, there's a few other things that we do that kind of help show my creativity, but also just like make it fun. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I haven't really publicly put it out there yet until this week, but we've been doing this edible menu. Um, and people have done edible menus before. Mm -hmm. I'm not the first to do it, but it's mainly just because I didn't want anybody to know about it when they came to the dinners because it would ruin the surprise. But now we've done it enough times that I'm okay with like everybody really knowing about it. And it's super fun. Like we give people these plates, plates that I've actually thrown myself because I got back into ceramics last um, last year. <laughs> and we give them this menu and they look at it. And we're like, will you slide your plates you know, forward for us? And oh, put the menu on there too. They're like, what? And then we start saucing it and <laughs> throwing things on it. And you know, it's usually like three or four components. So it's pretty quick. And then they get it and they can roll it up kind of like a burrito or an enchilada, whatever works for them. Uh, it's really fun. And sure. it just adds that extra little like, whoa, what am right. I getting into? And that's and, made of rice paper and edible ink? Is yeah. It, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, was, I did some research and was able to find that. Um, I have to always remember to take the edible ink out of the printer <laughs> because I've definitely printed a couple prep lists on it on accident. I'm like, oh my God, this stuff's not cheap. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, it's super fun. And then it was really funny because my parents came to one of the last dinners and my mom got the menu and she got up to go put it in her purse. I'm like, mom, get back here. Like, put that back down on your plate. She's like, what? I'm like, you'll get another menu later. Like, don't worry. It was really cute. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, we always end up at the end of the dinner giving everybody uh, a nice copy of the menu. Um, you'll get this little take-home gift that we always have some form of a take-home gift mm -hmm. for everybody just for saying thank you for coming. Yeah, so okay. currently right now, we rent a space uh, in West Seattle as a commissary kitchen. It's worked out great uh, for now. We're in the hunt for our own building um, because things have gone well enough. Mm -hmm. And this month alone, I spent so much money in renting other people's spaces that I'm like, would have saved money renting a building myself that I'm like, now it's kind of a thing where it just makes sense. But you know what? That took time. I started at the lowest amount of money I could at the commissary kitchen mm -hmm. and then took on a little more space, a little more refrigeration because I needed it a little bit more, a little bit more. And then we got busy enough that I now have like one of the larger spaces in the building, um, to use for the business and you know I have a bunch of refrigeration and freezers and things but originally like it was just this tiny little amount of space but I was able to build pragmatically and that's something that I really encourage everybody of any level of entrepreneurship is that pragmatic growth is to me the best way to go you have to be really careful to take you know big jumps and like borrow a bunch of money and things like you need to test whatever you're doing mm -hmm. you need to test it on the market first and some of this you have to learn while you do it there's a lot of trial and error oh man business, i mean yeah it's crazy and, and also just uh understanding the seasons and that was a thing like season the seasonality of your own business was something that i really had to to learn because i think that i there were moments where i just was taking some things for granted and it was just when i look back i'm like that is so dumb of me but it was just true, and once I learned that, everything really started moving smoothly that way. Like, sure. when to do events, even during the summer, like, knowing not to do any events that I promote myself. Mm -hmm. Nothing goes on Fridays and Saturdays, because you're competing, because in this city, right, that's, that's what everything, everything happens, is. Yeah. Day of the week is Thursdays. Wednesdays and Thursdays. People will come to all kinds of things those days. They're wanting to go out. They're actually looking for things to do. 
Thursdays have been incredibly successful for me. So I just stay away from Fridays and Saturdays altogether, unless I'm partnering with someone who I know can help you know, fill the room in the right way. But if I'm doing it on my own, I just don't want to compete. Because other people, I mean, frankly, there's just companies with way bigger PR budgets than I do, and they're, I'm going to get dwarfed sure. by anything I do. It's just the truth. So not to inter- no, interrupt. I, I was going to ask, I mean, at what point did uh, you decide you wanted to uh, be a professional chef and, and go to cooking? Cook yeah, so I... So it's interesting because, like, my mom's side of the family has been in the industry. My uncle just retired after doing 48 years as an executive chef down anywhere between um, pretty much Napa to San San Francisco. But definitely in the last 20, 25 years of his career has been mainly around the Healdsburg area, which is kind of in between Santa Rosa and uh, and Napa. And so a lot of influence from him, my mother and my grandmother, um, amazing cooks. And definitely my mom, a bunch of restaurant experience. Uh, so, but it just, the profession as a whole was just never taken very seriously. And so I didn't really take it seriously either. I also didn't really know, like I knew I loved to cook, but I just never thought of that as a career necessarily until kind of like a lot of the food TV stuff. And it just kind of, you know, and yeah, I mean, I have no problem admitting that. Like it was inspiring to see some of these people on Top Chef, like doing some food that I hadn't seen before. Cause I mean, I'm from small town Montana originally. Like I wasn't, the only reason why I'm aware, was aware as a kid of like some worldly things is that my mom came from San Francisco, my dad came from Cincinnati and they met in Montana really randomly. Mm. And so they both had, you know, some travel under the belts and very aware of things. My grandmother, when she visited us, has traveled like a good portion of the world. So she like had all these things to share, cuisines that she's interested in. and especially them being from California, there's such diversity there that when we would go there, I'd see all kinds of things. So definitely grew up knowing of certain things, but, you know, I didn't know. I mean, I knew what good food was, but there were a lot of things I didn't know what they were. Mm-hmm. So then the band had ended and I was moving into an apartment with my best friend at the time. And the kitchen, I don't know what it was. Like, it's so cheesy, but the kitchen just kind of like spoke to me. It was a great kitchen. It was really fantastic. I just started cooking and... I was like, I wonder, I was also in a stage in my life where I was like very uh, wanting to transition into something else. And so I called up my uncle and was like, hey, can I come down to California and work with you for a week? Um, I want to see if I really am interested in this. And then if I am, like enroll in culinary school after that. So went down in November, spent a week with him, totally got my butt kicked for a week. It was, but it was so much fun. He both was He's a, as a pastry chef, he was also working on some baker's hours. So we'd be up at like 4 a.m. into the kitchen right away and then working a long day and then going doing events at night. So like these, like I was not used to working like a 14 hour day, let alone even a 10 hour day. Because when you work, you know, for corporations, like it's seven and a half hours with a half hour lunch in there and you're definitely taking your two, you know, 10 to 15 minute breaks or whatever it is. And that's like regimented. And so to basically double the amount of time we're working in a day was a bit of a shock at first, but I just loved the work. And so I dove into it, um, signed up for culinary school, went to the Art Institute of Seattle, which is now unfortunately no, defunct. defunct yeah. <laughs> um, but it was I was really fortunate when I went there because there was mm-hmm. a really great group of instructors, um, chef instructors who were there. Mm-hmm. Um, and a couple, one specifically was massively impactful on my career uh, and a couple others that were just very inspiring in general. So <clears throat> I took to that. I absolutely love culinary school and then just got plugged in, in the right restaurants to kind of start. Like I, Lark was the first stop. And I think what was interesting for me is like I had so much 
other life experience coming into that, <laughs> that what I really needed to learn was um, like how to have the nuance and skill to cook great. <laughs> like I had plenty of, you know, cooking background, but when you're talking about a professional kitchen, it works very differently. Right. But what I did have was a ton of managerial background. I had the right kind of attitude. I was willing to work hard. I had all these kind of intangible things and then other stuff that I'd learned from working in other industries that I could apply. Mm -hmm. And so, and I was really dedicated and I was old enough because this is kind of a second career for me um, that I wasn't like looking to just go to the bar after work all the time. Like sure. when you're 22, 23, like, you know, you got to work, but what you really want to do is be social. And I got a lot of that out in being in the band for all those years, um, all those you know, great times with the band, I was able to exercise a lot of that. So now it was just about, I want to come in, I want to crush it at this, I want to be the absolute best, and I'm competitive, so I want to be better than everybody. Even though I'm brand new, I'm going to get better than everybody I'm around. And so I was just nose to the grindstone and just rose super, super quick just by, you know, being good at what I was doing. And that's one of the things that I love about kitchens is that they're always a meritocracy. You always know who's the best. Yeah. You always know who's working hard and you always know who's not. And that's one of those things that anybody who, to me, want to work for is somebody who recognizes that and that people will work for them and you get promoted because of that. So I just rose up really fast and, um, you know, my nose was always in a book, you know, trying to read something, watching whatever I could, whether it was documentaries or even just TV shows. Because there's a lot of really great things that are buried in a lot of these cooking TV shows if you're watching the right ones, especially ones like Mind of a Chef that was on PBS. I, ho I hope it comes back, but with Anthony Bourdain passing and that being one of his shows through his production company, who knows if it ever will. But I think it has six seasons. Those are extraordinary seasons with so much information in there. I like loved watching that and Top Chef just because it's entertaining and um, especially some of the early seasons were just so great. And then uh, just rose and ended up getting lead line cook and then sous chef and then really running the restaurant for a while. And then it was, you know, after three and a half years, it was kind of time to go do something else. So segue out of there and started to work on some other things. But um, yeah, I mean, it's been a really interesting path. It's very different than a lot of my colleagues because a lot of people I know like this is the only industry they've ever worked in and I've sure. you know this is kind of the third industry for me that I've worked in in my life yeah. uh, which is kind of interesting yeah I mean I love, love what you're doing the, just the, the the creativity and the high quality and attention to detail and stuff um so I mean, I'm looking forward to you know coming to, to more of your your pop up. Yeah, it'd be great to great to have you one. You know the the pop up. It's the other thing that I love about what I do that I think is actually one of the passion killers in a restaurant is that I do not have monotony. You know, and I guess if you want to go, well, you had to clean mushrooms for an hour. I'm like, yes, okay. The one hour of cleaning mushrooms is a little monotonous, sure. but because of what I do, I can throw a podcast in or listen to some music, relax do it as fast as I can, but I'm not in the stress of like a restaurant where, oh my God, services in two hours, you gotta get this up really, really fast. Right. And then you're like trying to figure out what to do and you don't do that necessarily, it's great. We can, with Sorel, we can break things out in a way that's much better that way. Mm -hmm. So the quality of life for the work that we do is much higher. Um, but what's great is that we have all this diversity. So we'll do the pop-up, we'll do maybe one of those a week or two of those a week, then we'll do an hors d'oeuvres party for a wedding, then we'll do a 12-person sit-down dinner in their home, then we'll go do a big Washington wine event. And and that kind of diversity, it it's constantly um, refeeding my energy for this industry and for what I do. And just, I don't know, like I I am living, I am so proud of the people who, who work with me because I have this amazing team that I've assembled. 
um, that has a ton of passion for what we do. And I think they too see like, this is different. This is not the same as working for any other business because we get to do something special, but we don't have to do it every night. And that, that's the killer. Like that consistency, you know, consistency is a great thing when you're talking about technique, like the technique of doing it. But if you have to pan roast the same piece of salmon every single night for nights on end, weeks, months, like, God, talk about getting bored after a while. And hey, more power to the people. Like if you just need a job and it's the same as changing tires as it is as flipping burgers, like more power to you. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. It's just like if you're... It's a grind. Yeah. yeah. If you're a creative though, you got to be careful of that, especially with being an entrepreneur and owning your own business. Like those little burnout things that you have to be aware of to not let that creep in and be that thing in your ear where man it'd just be great to like burn this thing down and go work for somebody else like i just hired my first gm uh for sorel she is amazingly organized and motivated and i mean she's motivated in her personal life she's motivated in her professional life um she is gonna help make this company be even better than anything i could do because i can't do any one thing full-time only she can take so much off my plate so that I can get back to what I want to worry about, which is like creating menus, working one-on-one with clients because I love creating menus for people. It's fun. Yeah. But focusing in on that. So, you know, people should find somebody who can work with them. Um, there's also a lot of free services in this city and a lot of people don't know about the SBA program score that we have in Seattle. And I don't remember the website, but if you just Google like score Seattle, um, it'll come up. Your taxes pay for this stuff. It's a free service. You can go get free small business uh, consulting work and you're basically working with an industry professional in the industry that you're interested in that will help help you write all these things. No matter what it is, if you're looking for a loan, if you're writing a business plan, they hold all kinds of workshops. Some of those you have to pay to go to, but they're pretty cheap. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, the um, finding a mentor through that um, is free. So no reason why you wouldn't do that. I mean, it's a free resource. I met with a guy, his name's Bernard. He's great, he's real funny. He used to live in New York, loves La Berna Den, which is a restaurant I love too in New York. And so we got along really great and started working on things. He introduced me to a couple other people who um, helped mentor me in a couple other ways. And so you can always find someone to help you with that stuff, but why wouldn't you take some free help? I mean, the business plan part of things, you have to write that. If anything, it's a great exercise in getting you to understand all the different components to a business, like recognizing who your competitors are. I mean, it seems simple and it seems really like common sense, but to force yourself to write a document that, you know, um, will categorize like where in the city you are and who you have to worry about and like, mm-hmm. is my product too similar to the guy who's like going to be two doors down from me? If that's the case, you need to rethink what you're doing because that kind of direct competition for somebody who's already been there, they're going to stick with the person next door like mm-hmm. it's gonna be tough so that stuff's really helpful I um I was recommended to do that by um somebody else that I'd met and it was a great experience for me and I still like anytime they send out some emails and stuff but you can get in contact with them and they have a whole website with a bunch of different like excel sheets and things that you can use for free it's okay great. no it's great information I appreciate you taking the time to, to share oh, some of yeah. your story with us. It's really great to be able to share some of my story and how I got here. And also, if anybody has any questions about anything, like feel free to shoot me an email. I am an open book. I don't think anything's proprietary. There's nothing that I do that's proprietary. If you want to take the extra time to make some of the recipes that I make, go for it. I am more than encouraging of that. But especially on the business stuff, if you need like a number for a commissary kitchen, shoot me an email. Because like we need more you know, um, 
friendly help sometimes in this industry. So I always, or in any industry for that sure. matter. So I'm always like an open ear that way. But I really appreciate being here today and uh, look forward to next time we can do some events together because uh, the first two were a lot of fun. And I think, you know, with uh, a little bit more just uh, more positive energy that we have putting into it, it's going to be even better the next time. So exactly. it's exciting. Keep, keep refining it. Uh, for our audience, what is your email? So email is Aaron, A-A-R-O-N, at SorrellSeattle.com, spelled S-U-R-R-E-L-L Seattle.com. All right. And, and that's also the same website, too, if you guys want to check out anything about uh, me. And then all the hashtags are Sorrel Seattle, too. So Instagram, Facebook, um, Instagram, or not Instagram, but Twitter a little bit. But I don't really do much of that. It's mainly Instagram these days. Okay. Yeah. So so uh, SorrelSeattle.com yep. uh, for any find out about any pop-up events yeah, and what yeah you're doing absolutely the best thing okay. I recommend to everybody is go to the website and get on the newsletter and we only send out one maybe two a month we don't berate you if we do send out a second one it's because something exciting is happening like the cookbook that I was a part of last year when it came out we sent out a second one there's a cookbook coming out this um, fall to early winter that I'm going to be a part of and another one that comes out beginning of next year that I'm a part of and so when those come out we end up inevitably sending out a second one just because sure. like I wanted to kind of just celebrate that and especially because these are chef collaborative books um, I love to give some shine to those other guys too like there's a lot of amazing chefs that are part of these books and one of them the one that comes out beginning of next year that I'm incredibly excited about is uh, all about our Washington winemakers with recipes mm-hmm. and there's just some fabulous people who are a part of that so uh, get on the newsletter. We send that out. We give you a good 24 to 48 hours um, head start on buying tickets because some of these events sell out really quick. So we'd love to give you that as just a thank you for getting on the list. Awesome. Yeah. Well, thank you again for joining us, Aaron. And yeah. uh, go go check out SorrellSeattle.com. Yeah. Excellent. Thank uh, you. Thank you. That wraps up this week's episode. Make sure to check out our guest website, pay them a visit, and help spread the word about what they are doing. If you have any questions, know someone who should be a guest on here or has a great story worth sharing, email me at christianharris at ctown.com. That's S-E-A-town.com. I would also love it if you would go to iTunes and give us a review and a nice five-star rating. We work hard to bring on great guests and provide exceptional content, and getting a review from you is one way to help the podcast rank well on iTunes so others can find and enjoy the show. You can also find out more about me, how my real estate brokerage is breaking the mold and making a difference in our Seattle communities, and other projects I'm working on by visiting ctown.com, S-E-A-town.com. Thanks for listening. The music for our podcast is courtesy of The Fascination Movement. You can find their albums in the iTunes store. You can also listen to more episodes and find all our show notes on our website at ctownpodcast.com. This has been a Seatown Media Production.